This morning we are bringing to a conclusion the series of messages and focus during the fall months from the book of Acts, the first half or so of the book of Acts, entitled this Renew, How Jesus Changes Everything. And I do pray that as we've made this journey that you've sensed God making some changes in your heart. It's been a delight for us who've had the privilege of teaching uh, this and I hope it's been impactful. This morning, we're gonna look at Acts 15 and try to wrap up in a bigger focus. I think one of the big themes that uh, through this series and through the book of Acts. So turn to Acts 15, if you would, page 924. Of course, we look forward this coming week to Thanksgiving. I pray for many of you as you're traveling, you'll have safe travels and some are already on their way. And that'll be a blessed time for you, your friends, your family that are, are gathering. Hard to believe that next, uh, next uh, Sunday we enter into the Christmas season, the season of Advent. And I uh, hope you'll be praying about our focus during these next four weeks or so. Uh, we want to focus on reclaiming Christmas. <laughs> How many of you think Christmas needs to be reclaimed? Uh, yes, uh, in our own hearts perhaps. And so we're going to do that by focusing on Advent. Just what, what is Advent? What do we celebrate when we think about Advent? And uh, we're looking forward to this time, and we're going to be preparing a blog for devotions that you, for personal group that you can use about Christmas A to Z, and you'll be able to see that and, and use that. But we pray that the Lord will make it a season where we really think about Advent and the hopes the faith, the peace, the joy that we have through the, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, his first and his second, right? The second coming of the Lord Jesus. So that'll be our focus. This morning, I want to ask the Lord to share with us what I feel like something he's put on my heart to wrap up this series from Acts. And so Acts chapter 15 will begin. We're going to look at several passages through chapter 15 through chapter 18. Now, when I was in a, a sophomore in college, uh, I had a, a moment of real uh, clarification, I can say, a, a moment of clarity, and you'll understand the pun in just a few minutes. When I was sitting in Greek class, and I recognized I could not read the writing that the professor was putting on the board. Of course, now it was Greek class, right? And it was Greek to me, and, and still, still is, quite frankly. But I, I couldn't read that what was on the board, so I went to an optometrist there in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, he did some tests, and he came back, he told me, uh, Sam, you, you're nearsighted, and you're, you're going to need glasses to cor correct this. And so he did the, uh, the analysis, the measurements, and I came back and I picked out some glasses that day. And there were two things that I, I, I noticed that day. First of all, I noticed just how cool I looked in those glasses, all right? Because I picked out some of those 70s aviators. Do you remember that? Some of you old enough remember those big things, you know? And I, was, I looked just quite cool. The problem was, uh, I also wore them in my wedding pictures. 
Doesn't, doesn't look sort of cool now. No, it looked like Adam Ant with these big goggles, you know. But I, I, I look quite cool. But the other thing I immediately noticed, I could see clearly. I remember driving back to the campus and the dorms, and I thought, what have I been missing? Everything, I, everything looked different. And I, I got to class, and I, I could see the board. Uh, I'd even see my fellow students. I never knew they looked like that. And that was good for some and not so good for others. But I, I could see my classmates. I had renewed vision. I had renewed vision. And this series has been about renew. How Jesus changes everything. And Jesus changes everything. Our vision. I believe when Christ comes into our hearts that we don't ever see life again the same way. I think when Christ is ruling in our hearts and his spirit is directing our lives, we don't see things ever the same. And we don't see people the same. See, Jesus changes everything. He changes how you see people. And today I want us to close this, this season, this focus and acts on how Jesus gives us a renewed focus on people. A renewed focus on people. Jesus wants in all the seasons and all the situations of life to see what he sees. He sees people. He sees people. He always saw people. He saw what his disciples did not see. He certainly saw what his enemies did not see. And the spirit of Jesus causes us to be renewed in our vision that we never see people the same. Now this morning, I want us to focus on a renewed focus on people, and I want us to learn by the example of the Apostle Paul, who focused on people at all times in his life. And we're going to see that even in difficult times, he kept his focus on people. And so this morning, we're going to look from Acts chapter 15 at the end of the chapter over into the middle of chapter 18, and we're going to see how Paul teaches us to have a focus on people in difficult times. And I'm going to tell you, this is one of the strangest outlines that you've ever seen from one of my messages. Some of you might be thinking, that's saying something, because we've really seen some strange ones over the years. But this one is going to be almost all names. It's an outline of names. People that Paul saw. In difficult seasons. Now notice that he had a difficult season and he yet focused on people in times of disagreement. Times of disagreement. There was a time of great disagreement that came into Paul's life. A disagreement with his closest friend Barnabas. And we read about that in Acts chapter 15. So if you would look at Acts chapter 15. If you're using the Bible that's provided in front of you, you can look at page 924. But Acts 15, verse 36. 
It says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So they're going to retrace their steps from that Antioch moment. And I'm getting quite a bit of wind up here from some place. That's, that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> not that my notes mean anything to me. I just look to the red part. That means tell a joke. Okay, so. <laughs> Weak point, tell a funny story. Barnabas and Paul are retracing their steps from the Antioch moment. They've gone out on the first missionary journey. They want to go back and see how those believers are doing. And so this is what happens. It says, verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now notice, this is Paul and Barnabas. Look at Paul and Barnabas, first of all, the closest of friends, colleagues for years, fellow pastors, fellow missionaries, and yet there came in their life a season of division, irreconcilable differences, specifically over their colleague, John Mark. Paul did not want to take him on this trip because he had turned back and he needed someone that he could trust and, they, and would be serious about this work. And Barnabas said, no, no, we need to take him with us. So he needs another opportunity. Let's give the boy a second chance. And the Bible says there arose a sharp disagreement between them. And that word sharp disagreement is very rare in the Greek text. The word is actually parazumas, parazumas. And we get our word paroxysm from that. It means something that's just deeply agitating and troubling. And so what Paul and Barnabas had here was not just a, a little, little brotherly challenge. No, it was a sharp disagreement. Now, they never expected this. These men loved each other. They're colleagues in ministry. They're fellow pastors of the same church. They're a missionary team. But they have a significant disagreement between them. Now here's a couple of questions. Question I would ask for you to consider is who was right and who was wrong? Was Barnabas right? And Paul wrong, or Paul was wrong, Barnabas was right, Paul's right, Barnabas is wrong. What's, which way is it? You see, don't we always want to make it somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong? And quite frankly, the Bible doesn't tell us either one of them was right or wrong. It's very clear that 
They both continued to have the grace of God upon their lives. Paul certainly had the blessing of God on his life as he went forward. And we know that, that also Barnabas had blessing on his life as, as he went forward. Which one was right? Which one was wrong? The Bible tells us that Barnabas certainly must have continued to pour into this life of the man John Mark. How many of you have ever been blessed by reading the Gospel of Mark? <laughs> Thank Uncle Barnabas. <laughs> okay. Barnabas was his uncle. And Paul even eventually saw how John Mark did come back to strength in the faith and commitment in courage for the Lord because he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy and he says, bring Mark to me because he is profitable for the gospel. Now during this message this morning, I'm going to have a few what I call Selah moments. You ever read the book of Psalms, read through Psalms and you'll come across the term Selah? That, that means the idea there is stop, rest, think, meditate. It, it, it means not just a stop in the music, not just a rest in the musical score, but it means the reader or the listener should stop, think, meditate over what's just been said. And so during this message, I want us to have some Selah moments. And here's the first one. The one I would ask you is, there's someone that you have a division with. How are you responding to that division? Certainly the Bible tells us there, if, there must be forgiveness if you've been wronged, have you forgiven? You must seek reconciliation if that's necessary. The Bible's very clear on that. But I would ask another question during this Selah moment. Has there been a division in your life that has stopped you from being able to see other people? A falling out in a relationship with someone else has so Turned your spirit that you can't see the people around you. We have here an example of Paul and Barnabas. Yet they both continued to focus on people. It says that Paul took Silas and he went into Syria, Cilicia in Syria. And Barnabas took Mark and went back to Cyprus. Yes, there came a division between these two colleagues. There was a division between these two servants of the Lord. But they kept focusing on others. Seeing others, serving others. We know that because it tells us that one took Mark and Paul took Silas. A new colleague, a new disciple, if you will. To go on the ministry tour with him. Neither Paul or Barnabas, even though they had a sharp disagreement and there was a divide in their ministry relationship, even though they 
had a strained relationship, it did not cause them to stray from the focus of serving other people. Don't let strained relationships cause you to stray from ministering to others. So we see Paul here and Barnabas focusing on people in time of disagreement. But now notice as Paul takes this journey, let's follow with Paul in his journey. And you're going to see Paul focusing on people in times of detours. Detours come into Paul's life and ministry. We read about this in Acts chapter 16, if you would, verses 1 through 10. Paul is making his way up into the regions of the northern section of Asia Minor. He has this new colleague, Silas. But at the first stop, even though he's had this bad personal experience, he sees a young man of great potential. And that young man is Timothy. Timothy, verses 1 and 2. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And so Paul even though he's got a detour taking place in his ministry, he, he takes under his wing, so to speak, this young man, Timothy. And this is going to be one of the great relationships in the New Testament. Timothy is going to become the one that Paul calls his son in the faith. As a matter of fact, there's two letters in the New Testament that will be written to this young man. First and second Timothy. Timothy is eventually going to become the pastor of the church of Ephesus, the leading church in the entire region of Asia Minor. Paul, in his final days, is going to ask Timothy to come see him in Rome. And Timothy is going to be the man with such allegiance and love for Paul that he risks going to death row in the Mamertine prison in Rome to spend time with Paul. Now, Paul takes this young man under his wings and this major detour happens in his life. Here's a detour that comes into Paul's life. Look at verse six. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, if you have opportunity sometime, you can look at one of those maps in the Bible and see how this works out and ask you not to do it right now, okay? But Paul and Silas and Timothy, they, they've been east and now they, they, they desire to go north. They want to go north where Jesus is not known. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't. And so they say, well, okay, let's go south. We'll go south. There's unevangelized regions there. And they try to go south. And the Spirit of Jesus says, no. Well, when you've been east and the Lord won't let you go north and he won't let you go south, what does that lead? <laughs> West, you don't have to have the gift of discernment to figure this out. So they turn west and they go to 
Antioch and two major events happen in this detour. Look at verse eight. It tells us in verse eight, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That is, come over across the ocean. Come up here to the northern part of Greece. Come over and help us. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, what happens on this detour? (laughs) In this detour, Paul has one of the most important visions, revelations of his life, and it is a vision that's going to change the history of the world. He's called west to go west into Europe. And then you see something, maybe you've never noticed this before. Very interesting. Verse 10 says, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach. The text changes from the third person to the first person Second person, we, we. What's happened here? On this detour, Paul meets somebody. His name is Luke. Paul meets Luke in Antioch. And Luke joins the team with Timothy, Silas, and Paul. Ever been blessed by the gospel of Luke? (laughs) Have you ever been blessed with the book of Acts? Please say amen right there, okay? Amen, thank you, okay, yes. Paul met the human author of two of the books of the New Testament on a detour. And he was a physician. Maybe the Lord knew Paul's going to need a personal physician because what's ahead of him? Now there's a sila moment. Let's stop for a moment. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from Paul's life here? Listen carefully. Detours in our life are divinely ordained. Detours in life are not accidental. They're providential. Detours in our life are divinely determined. Paul would have, might have thought we're off course. But no, he wasn't off course. He was right on course. Sometimes when we think our life has gone off course. No, we're right on course. And here's another thing to think about in this Sela moment. When you have a detour in your life. Folks, think about, think about this. Don't look back and wonder how in the world did I get here? No. I want to encourage you by God's grace to look around and say, who's here? The Lord put me here. He put me here. I didn't plan this detour. I never thought I'd be here. 
but who's here? Who's around me in this season of detour? Some time ago, I received a letter for which I would not take a million dollars. Goes all the way back, 2006. 2006, I was having a third reoccurrence of uh, illness I've struggled with for 16 years or so, myasthenia gravis, and I was having to go in daily for treatments, and the treatment I was receiving was uh, an infusion type of treatment. It was really kind of a chemotherapy, so I had to go in where they were administering chemotherapy. I sit there in your chair, and they hook up the bottles, and there's a group of you maybe sitting around a TV. And so I was there, <laughs> and there were the cancer patients, and just to the right of me, a lady started asking some questions, asked me who, who I was and what was going on, and then a little bit about me. And, and then she began, once she knew I was a pastor, she began sharing her heart and talking. And we had a few days together with stuff running in our arms. And I just would talk to her about the Lord. We prayed together talked about scriptures. You know, her son wrote me a letter several years later. She said, I want you to know my mom's now in heaven and I'm not sure you ever realized, maybe, I'm not sure you remember, but here's who she was and he described her and he said, she many times said, that few days with that man changed my life. Now, I don't in any way tell you that I was there as some great missionary because my attitude was not that great. And there was some hard times even in that treatment while I was, I was reacting to the medication and it was really physically challenging. But I want to tell you, God had me there. And just to know that is priceless. Folks, I want you to know, when you think you're on a detour, you're not. God knows where you are. Don't look back. Don't say, how in the world did I get here? But by God's grace, look around and say, who's here? Because there's somebody I'm supposed to be meeting in this situation. Now we're going to see one other thing about Paul. Paul was focusing on people in times of disagreement. He focused on people in times of, of detour. And as he crosses over into Europe, he focuses on people in times of discouragement. Now you would think no missionary team had greater excitement than Luke and Silas and Timothy and Paul going to Europe. I mean, they had the vision of the man, come over and help us. Doors wide open. This is going to be incredible. I think they probably even have a band waiting on us when we get there, right? Not quite. Acts 16 tells us how they arrived in Philippi. When they got to Philippi, there wasn't even a synagogue there. There, there wasn't even enough Jewish people to have a synagogue. You had to have at least six Jewish men to even start a synagogue. And so there's no place for Paul to go preach in the synagogue. So he knows that the rabbis teach 
that if you're a God-fearer and you cannot go to the synagogue, then you go to a place of running water and there you can do the ritual cleansing and worship God by running water. So Paul goes to this river outside Philippi and there are some people gathered there to worship. And Paul begins to share with them the gospel. Verse 13, it says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now let's stop there. This is not just a woman who's selling cloth out of a basket. This is a businesswoman. She, dealt, she deals in the dye that makes clothing purple. And it was so expensive that just a drop of it would cost hundreds of our dollars today. Just a drop. She's a businesswoman. And while she hears Paul talking, this is beautiful. The Lord opens her heart. The Lord opens her heart to the gospel and she believes on Jesus. And I just think this is so humorous in a way. What was it that Paul saw that brought him to Macedonia? He saw the man of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And it turned out that the man of Macedonia was a woman. <laughs> it was a woman who was the first convert in Europe. The first person to come to faith in Christ in the continent of Europe was a businesswoman. And her whole family accepted the Lord. Well, now Paul and Silas, they're, they're preaching and sharing and something strange happens. Verse 16, and as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now you might think, oh, this is a good thing. Now there's, there's a lady, she's a young woman, she's following Paul and saying, hey, they're bringing us the way of salvation. But that's not the way Paul interpreted it. He turned and cast the demon out of her. What's going on here? Paul recognizes what is at stake. What is at stake is demonic spirits are trying to associate themselves with what Paul is teaching so that people will be led astray into some kind of mix of paganism and the gospel. And Paul says, no way. Our message of Jesus is not going to be mixed up with some kind of paganistic religion. And he cast the demon out. And isn't it beautiful? It's so beautiful that Paul, making a disciple, was attacking the slave trade. He was attacking the occult. What is it that is the absolute power to come against sex trafficking, slavery, 
The power of all powers is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the power that comes against occultism? Demonic oppression and possession. What is it that these people need? They need to hear the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus. The gospel is what changes a culture. Paul and Silas, they've messed up this man's business. <laughs> Fortune teller's not much good when she gets converted. I met a witch doctor once in Thailand. He used to be one of the most famous witch doctor in northern Thailand till he got saved. And the villagers ran him out because he wasn't a good witch doctor anymore. <laughs> but, but he was a great Christian. Well, they lie about Paul and Silas. They, they're beaten, they're chained, they're put in jail. Discouraging, right? But in the midst of discouragement and injustice, here are two missionaries being put in jail. Here are preachers being put in jail for doing good. Here are pastors being put in jail for sharing the gospel. What was their choice in the midst of injustice? Their choice was to rejoice. I love this. It says in verse 25, And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Don't you love that? They were rejoicing in their prison cells. They were singing to the Lord. And what was the result? I'll tell you the result. They rocked the house. That's the result. Look. I mean, Paul and Silas, they sang and they brought the house down. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. What did Jesus say he came to do? To set the prisoners free. Here's Paul and Silas in discouraging circumstances, praising God, and they're rocking the house. And I want to tell you, this is the original jailhouse rock right here, not Elvis. Paul and Silas. And they had a captive audience for a few moments. Jailer rushes in. He's about to kill himself. Paul says, no, 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 no. We're still here. Sirs, what must I do to be safe? Wow. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your house. And that night he believed and his family believed. And that night they were baptized. And the next day, Paul and Silas are ushered out they try to get rid of them silently and Paul says, nothing doing. You put us in here as Roman citizens. You've beaten us. You have, you have treated us without justice. And when the rulers of the city found out they were Roman city, citizens, there's another quaking, not just earthquaking, there's knees quaking. And they say, oh, please, please, please. We're sorry. Please, please come here. We'll lead you on your way. We'll lead you on your way. You all come back now. You hear? Yeah. Whole change. What did Paul and Silas leave behind them? 
They left behind them a businesswoman and her family, a former demonized girl who is now a believer, a jailer and his family. You know what the Lord calls that? He calls that a church. The first church on the continent of Europe came out of the most discouraging of circumstances. Paul makes his way to Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17. We've got to pick it up here a little bit. You're not listening quickly enough. And go to Thessalonica. He's only able to stay there three, three Sabbath days, less than three weeks. But while he is preaching the gospel, some devout Greeks and some leading women who have been coming to the synagogue, maybe listening in through the windows, they come to faith in the Lord. There's a man by the name of Jason, a Greek man who becomes a believer. And the religious leaders are so upset, they bring charges against Paul and and actually they told some lies full of truth sometimes lies are full of truth verse 17 I want you to notice verse 7 rather some lies full of truth it says these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason has received them And they are teaching against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king but Jesus. Well, you know what? They were lying, but they were telling some truth. These men had turned the world upside down, or actually turned it right side up. And they were telling that there is another king, and that king is Jesus. Paul only had three weeks there. Have you ever read First and Second Thessalonians? Very discouraging situation, but people reached. A church planted. He goes to Berea, chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. The reception's a little better. These are more noble people. They receive the word of God. They're searching the scriptures daily, whether these things are so. But then more troublemakers come from Thessalonica, and so they have to get Paul out of town. They sort of have to get him out of Dodge by night. This time, they don't take him just a few miles. They take him all the way down to Athens. And in Athens, Paul is alone. And while he's alone in Athens, it says that Paul became agitated. He became provoked. Verse 16, he was provoked when he saw these idols. That word provoked is the same word to describe the relationship between Barnabas and Saul. There was a paroxysm. There was a mm, agitation of the spirit when he saw all this demonism. And these idols. But he saw an opportunity. He saw the altar to the unknown God. Just unless they had left one out. And he went to the very center of culture in the world. The, the, the Acropolis of Rome. Of Athens rather. And to the intelligentsia of the day. He preaches Jesus. Many people laughed at him, but there was a man named Dionysius who believed he was an Areopagite. Do you know what that means? He was a Supreme Court justice. And Eusebius, who wrote two, two centuries later, who was a historian of the church, 
tells us that the first bishop of Athens was a man by the name of Dionysius. Damaris and some other women, women receive a gathering of disciples. A church is formed there in Athens. And guess what? There's been a church in Athens ever since. There's churches there today. And some of our wonderful partners, the Romeos families, are there in Athens ministering the word of God. Started out of discouragement. Chapter 18, Paul goes to Corinth. He goes to the least likely place. Corinth is absolutely abysmal in its morals. San Francisco would look like a Sunday school picnic compared to Corinth. It's, he's, gonna, he's going there not on his A game. Paul is discouraged and he's, he's full of fear. He's struggling with fear. He tells us that when he writes 1 Corinthians. He said, when I came to Corinth, I was in fear and trembling. And on top of that, you know what? Paul needed a job. He was hungry. In a pagan city, he knows no one. He's full of fear, depressed, and he needs a job. So he goes where they make tents. He knows how to do that kind of work. And he gets a job at the tent factory. Who does he meet at the tent factory? He meets two refugees. Refugees. Priscilla and Aquila. Refugees. And he tells them about Jesus and they come, evidently they there come to faith in Christ and the church of Corinth starts with a rabbi Paul who's been terribly discouraged and afraid, and he meets two refugees on the tent assembly line, and they form the church in Corinth. That's the reason, because it started in a tent factory, that's the reason it was called Tabernacle Baptist, okay? That, that's in the Greek. You gotta dig that out a little bit. That's, that's pretty deep there. But follow Priscilla and Aquila, these two refugees become two of the great heroes of the New Testament, making disciples all over the Roman world and being a part of a church planting movement. These two refugees that a discouraged Christian man who needed a job met on the assembly line. God's awesome. Paul starts teaching in the synagogue. They don't like it. And so he leaves the synagogue, verses five and six, and he goes next door, verse seven. Paul says, I'm out of here. I'm going there. <laughs> right next door. And he starts sharing the gospel. And Titius Justice becomes a believer. Verse seven. And then verse eight, Crispus becomes a believer. Who's Crispus? He's the leader of the synagogue. The leader of the synagogue becomes a believer in Messiah and he starts going to church next door. Wow. Now it gets dangerous. 
I mean, people are tired of this and it's very dangerous. And Paul is, he's very afraid. As a matter of fact, he's so afraid. The Lord comes to him in a vision, verses nine to 10, verses nine to 10. He says, Paul, stop being afraid. That's literally the translation. Stop being afraid. Don't stop preaching. I have many people in this city. Who's the Lord talking about? People that aren't saved yet. But the Lord knows them. He's ordained them to eternal life. And they're going to come. And so he says, Paul, I know you're discouraged. I know you're afraid. But you keep on talking. Other sheep I have, I must also bring them. He's taken to court. Huge decision is made by the Roman leader, Gallio. He oversees the whole region. He makes a decision that's momentous to the Christian church. He says the Roman government is not going to get involved in these affairs of Jewish people, Jewish believers, Christians, followers of the Christ. We're not going to get involved in that. The guy that was prosecuting was a man by the name of Sosthenes. Who's Sosthenes? He's the new leader of the synagogue. When Gallio rules against him, the rabble standing around the outside courtroom, they start stoning this man, Sosthenes. They start stoning this guy who's been prosecuting Paul. And Paul stays for 18 months and this incredible work of the Lord is raised up. But do you want to hear a rest of the story about Sosthenes? A couple years later, Paul's going to write to the church of Corinth. And here's what he writes. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and Sosthenes our brother. The second ruler of the synagogue, the prosecutor against Paul, became a believer in Jesus and a member of Paul's missionary team. Think about it. Here's Paul, a persecutor of Christians, and Sosthenes, a persecutor of Christians. Here's Paul, a prosecutor of Christians at one time, and Sosthenes, a prosecutor of Christians. And now they're both preachers of Christ. They're two missionaries. Friends, listen. God does amazing things through the gospel of Jesus. And he does it through people who in discouragement and in detours and in division determined by, their, by his grace that they're going to look for people they can love for Jesus and they can love to Jesus. Selah. Some of you here this morning, you've had a divide in relationship with somebody else. Are you going to become bitter? 
Or are you gonna continue to look for people you can love for Jesus and love to Jesus? Some of you are on a detour. You never thought you'd be where you are right now. And you may be looking back thinking, how in the world did I get here? I wanna say to you this morning, the Lord says, look up and look at who I have here. Look around you. There are people maybe sitting right next to you in a doctor's office. And you're not on a detour at all. You're right where God wants you to be. There may be somebody at the unemployment office and you're there on mission. Look around you. And in discouragement, don't give up. Look up. Lord, I am discouraged. I'm like Paul. I am afraid. Everything within me is saying, shut down. But Lord, as you gave Paul grace, give me grace. Help me to look around and see who's here. That I can love for Jesus. That I can love to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. As our heads are bowed, let's quiet ourselves just for a moment. I thank you for your attention this morning. I know we a little bit of an unusual message and a little disjointed perhaps. But I want to ask you, Sila, are you in a place of detour? Are you a place where there's been a divide in relationship? Are you in a place of discouragement? Oh, don't look down. Look up. Don't look back. Look around. You're still here. God's still on his throne. And he's great in you, in your weakness. Let him flow through you to love people for Jesus, to love people to Jesus.